first three verses. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So just faith simply defined is believing in what you cannot see. If it's there, it doesn't take faith. But if you can't see it, then you have to believe by faith for it. And verse 2 tells us, for by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. That means they had a bad situation, but they got a good report out of it. Just because you have a bad situation doesn't determine the report that you get. Now look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. That tells us that everything that is in the seen realm, that means if I can touch it, feel it, put my hands on it, uh, it's in front of me, it's what's currently going on in my life, it has a source from a realm that cannot be seen. In Colossians chapter 3, you could just jot it down, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 tells us to look at the things which are not seen. To look at the things, to, to see things from God's point of view. God's perspective. And so we've got to learn to have a different perspective in life. We cannot be moved and we cannot be be influenced by the things that are currently going on in our lives. And so it's kind of where we have been. We've been discovering um, that we can miss what has been right in front of us the whole time just as much as we can see what is not there. We can miss what God has right in front of us. I mean, we've all done that naturally. It was there the whole time. And you blamed everybody in the house. You blamed the dog. You blamed your kids. You blamed your wife. You blamed your husband. But it was sitting right there the whole time. We can miss what is right in front of us just as much as we can see what is not there. In the first week, we discovered how to how to live a life where we see things that aren't really there by faith. I see sickness in my body, but the word tells me that by his stripes, I am healed. We learn how to see those things. Last week, we talked about uh, how we can discover things that have been right in front of us the whole time. And we we looked at Abraham. God gave Abraham a promise in Genesis chapter 15 of a land that his uh, descendants would eventually take over and conquer and live in called the promised land. But when the spies got to the promised land, even though the promised land was right in front of us and they claimed it's got it's a land flowing with milk and honey, just like God said. You should see the fruit coming off of these trees. I mean, it was so big they had to carry it on poles. But what did they choose to see? They chose to see the giants. They chose to see the numerous amounts of enemies. They chose to see the fortified walls. What happened? They had a wrong perspective. And so perspective is not denying what is currently there. And this is where a lot of people want to operate in faith. They want to act like faith is just an absolute denial of the current situation. They want to think, they, they, I, I'm living by faith. I don't, you know, I don't care what the doctor says. I, I don't have that. Well, yeah, you do. But faith says you can overcome it. The Bible tells us that it's by our faith that we overcome the world. Amen? And so we've got to learn to have a different perspective. When when Paul says we do not look at those things which are seen, he's not saying ignore. He's saying focus. He's asking the question, what has your attention? What are you giving your focus to? And I've learned this, guys, that attention is intention. I'll say that again. I know it was kind of confusing. Attention is intention. That means you don't accidentally give your focus to something. You, 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 you practice that. You're, you're putting it into motion. It's something that you make a habit out of looking at. It's some, there's a pattern in your life where you're giving your focus, you're giving your attention to that thing. You don't accidentally give your attention to something. And how many of you know as well as I do, there's all kinds of distractions in life. And what are distractions designed to do? Remove your focus. Remove your attention. And that's why Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, set your mind 
on things of God. Set means fixed, immovable, cannot be shaken. We've got to set our attention. You've got to be intentional about what you give your attention to. And so here in Second Chronicles is going to uh, move us into the direction that I believe God wants us to go today. And um, uh, I didn't even set it up this week. In fact, I was having a conversation with somebody earlier this week. I don't remember who it was. Uh, that asked, do, do we set up our, our do, do I set up our praise and worship to line up with my message? And I don't, because I'll be honest with you, um, and this might scare you a little bit, but sometimes I don't really know where God wants me to go specifically until like last night, like within the last 24 hours, I start getting some serious direction. But, uh, you know, I set our set list, music, at the beginning of the month. The songs that we played today, for the most part, we had planned out four weeks ago. So there's no way. I, I'm not that smart, guys. I don't have it all together. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. But a lot of our songs lined up with, uh, you know, where we're going. The second song we sang, Open Up Our Eyes. Our God is fighting for us. Our God is fighting for us. And that's what Second Chronicles chapter 20 is, is all about. And so I'm, while I'm over there playing the drums... Uh, to that song, I'm thinking, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. That's exactly where we're going. So Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of uh, Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Lots of big words there. You, you got that, Haley? You got those? I know those can be, I'm I'm sorry. Should have given you, given you my script ahead of time. Lots of big words. But basically, a bunch of God's, uh, a bunch of enemies against God's people, Israel, are coming to attack. And they've all joined forces. You know, it's one thing when one enemy comes against you. But how many of you have been hit from all sides? Uh, when it rains, it pours, right? Uh, and, and, and how many of you have ever been in Jehoshaphat's situation? He's the king at this time. And I love how it says they came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Because he's the leader, he gets picked, they're all coming against him. And, you know, sometimes it feels like things are getting, you know, we've taken things personal. Uh, but we don't need to take it personal. We're going to find out who really takes it personal here in a moment. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are, uh, and they are in Hazazon, from Syria, uh, and they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. He feared and he set himself to seek the Lord. He didn't stop at fear. He didn't stop at discouragement. He didn't stop at anxiety. But he did what? He sought the Lord, set himself to seek the Lord, watch this, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah, throughout the whole territory. Now, he's claiming all the people to do what? Seek the Lord. That's what fasting is all about. Fasting isn't trying to get God's attention. Fasting is so you can get your attention on God. I, I tell people all the time, if you've got a major decision to make, You've got to start cutting out some sources. You've got to start channeling in to hear from God. Uh, it's amazing how many times we get in situations where we need clear direction from God, but we go in ten different other directions. I don't think I said that right. Ten other different directions. I'll get it here in a moment. I'll get in a rhythm here, and y'all are going to be shouting me down here in just a minute. It's all right. It's amazing that we turn to friends, we turn to family, we turn to Facebook, we turn uh, 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 to all these different directions, and fasting is the one thing that allows us to get in tune with the Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about. It's not a diet plan. But I'll tell you what, there is no kind of challenge that when you say no to your flesh in the area of food, there is no kind of challenge like and that's what it's about. It's not about what you eat or what you don't eat. It's not about what you what you drink and what you don't drink. It's not about, you know, people fast TV and people
Facebook. People fast Dr. Pepper. People fast whatever. The ultimate thing is you're saying no to something so you can clearly hear from something else. That's what fasting is all about. Don't, don't need to get religious about it. And so he's basically just getting the whole country together and says, you know what? We've got some trials and some tribulations coming against us. He's not denying it. He's not, well, you know, that's no big deal. Now, he understands what can happen here. Three of our greatest enemies are coming against us. So we need to go to God. I wish we had some leaders like that today. Amen. We wish we had some leaders that would declare the nation to go to God and say, we are in turmoil. We are in the midst of a mess, and we are going to have to go to God with this one. Anybody up for that one? Anybody up for that leader? You've got my vote. Where is he? Verse 5, then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, watch this, so that no one is able to withstand you. No one is able to withstand you. Jehoshaphat's not taking it personally. In essence, he's saying this. If they're attacking us, they're attacking you, God. If they're coming against us, they're coming against God Almighty. And so what does he choose to do here? He gets his eyes off of the problem, and he gets his eyes on his God. He gets his eyes off of the problem, and he gets his eyes on his God. Let me tell you something today. If your problem looks bigger than your God, it's because you made it that way. If your problem and your situation is bigger than your God in heaven, it's because you made it bigger. And so he's getting his eyes off of the problem and choosing not to look at, do not look, set your mind on what? Things above. He's doing Colossians chapter 3 before Colossians chapter 2 is even written. He's already putting this thing in motion. He's seeking after, what does Matthew 6 tell us? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So many times we give more attention to what is taken from us than giving our attention to what God wants to add to us. It's all about what you put your focus on. Uh, what's he doing? He's changing his perspective. He says, so that no one is able to withstand you. Verse 7, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? Now what's he doing? He's reminding God of what he did before. He's reminding God of his faithfulness to them before. He's going all the way back to Abraham. That's where we were last week. He's going all the way back to Genesis 15. He's going all the way back to Moses that went in and delivered God's people out of the, the slavery and the bondage of Egypt. He's reminding God that you brought us across the Red Sea on dry land. He's reminding God that you brought us water out of a rock. He's reminding God that uh, you brought birds to bring us dinner at night. He's reminding God of his faithfulness. It's amazing how the second God gets us through something, the next test seems bigger than the thing he just brought us out of. And it, you've been there. You've been there. I've been there. I mean, you just fought this big battle, man. I mean, God just showed himself faithful. He just provided for you. There's no way man could take credit for it. And then the next test comes, and you say, uh-uh, God, I don't know. This one, this one might. This, this one, I think we maxed you out with the last one. I don't know if you can get this next challenge. I don't know if you're up for the next bit. But what's he doing? Now, he, first he praises and he glorifies God. He tells him how awesome he is. Instead of talking about the problem, he talks about his God. Now he's reminding God of his faithfulness. He's reminding God and he's reminding himself of what his God has done before. Sometimes... The greatest thing you need in the midst of the current trial is remembering what God did in the last trial. Remind yourself 
of how he brought you through when there was no way out. Remind yourself of what he did on that cross. Remind yourself of what he did and he pulled you out of that mess that you were in. Remind yourself of God's faithfulness. Verse 8, and they dwell in it and built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. God's promise turned into Israel's possession. But now, look guys, sometimes you have to learn to maintain what God has uh, uh, given to you by faith. Now what are they having to do? They're having to fight to keep what belongs to them. And that's what the devil's doing today. We saw last week that God has already provided for you. God has already made provision available to you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2 tells us that we have uh, been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. We learned last week that faith doesn't create something. I don't need to use my faith for healing to create healing. Healing's already been provided for me. It belongs to me. That's mine. But now you've got to fight to maintain what you obtained by faith. What faith obtains works maintains. What faith obtains works maintains. So don't be surprised when what God has blessed you with requires your works to keep it. Yeah, you got to fight for your healing. Why? Because there's a devil, and what does he come to do? Steal? Well, what's stealing? Stealing is taking something that doesn't belong to you. Stealing, killing, and destroying what doesn't belong to him. But Jesus said, I've come to give life and life more abundantly. What's he saying? He says, I've provided you with something that's going to require your works to keep it. And so when we're talking about a change of perspective, that right there is your change of perspective. You think the devil's trying to put sickness on you. No, he's trying to take healing away from you. Those are two different positions. And so you have to learn to maintain what you obtain. Maintain what you obtain. What you obtain by coming into the kingdom, now you have to maintain and keep it. Because there is an enemy and there is a thief that comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. So you have to maintain what faith obtains. And so he says here that you promised this to us. We possess this, but now we're going to have to fight to keep it. Oh, our God, verse 12. Will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. You ought to underline, you ought to highlight, you ought to star, you ought to to put boxes and circles and parentheses and, and, and whatever you can do to that last line. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Our eyes are upon you. What's he saying? My perspective is on you. My position is on you. I'm setting my focus. And because where your eyes go, your life goes. We saw that last week. You cannot go where you cannot see. If you want to walk in the provision that God has called you to walk in, then you're going to have to see the provision before it ever shows up. Don't allow your current situation to dictate 
your, 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 your true position. God has more for you beyond what you're currently enduring, but you're going to have to see it with eyes of eternity. You're going to have to change your perspective. You're going to have to set your focus, set your mind on things above, not on the earth below. What you're looking at determines where you go. Told y'all a funny story about Tander in, in the, the middle of Target running smack dab into a, 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 a candy stand in the middle of the aisle. Why? Because he wasn't looking where he's going. Watch where you're going. Watch where you're going. Look where you're going. And so God is saying, look where you're going. Jehoshaphat is saying, I don't know what to do. This is the leader talking. That's a tough place to be in as the leader. It all rides on you. You're the head of the house. You're the man. Everybody's looking at you. And then he's saying, I'm looking at God. Again, don't we wish we had a leader like that? I don't want a leader with all the answers. I want a leader that knows how to listen to the right advice. That's what I want. I want a man that's gonna, that has no problem saying, I've got no clue. But we're going to now direct our attention and our focus to the one who does have a clue. How many of you believe God has a clue? Look at your neighbor say, get a clue. Look at your neighbor tell him, get a clue. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives, their children, stood before the Lord. Look at that. The whole family gets together. Got little Sally and, and, and little Timmy in there. And, 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 and they've got everybody standing before the Lord, focusing attention on the Lord. Parents, that's how you lead. You tell your children, we're going to go to God. We don't know where this is coming from. But God does. And then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael. We just go on down the list. This is, these are the son of everybody. And he said, but why is he doing that? Why is he giving you all those names? Because we're talking about generations that God has made this promise to. And God has not forgotten not one of them. See, even the stuff that we, we skip over has some importance. This was a promise made generation after generation after generation. So we listen. God, if you would do it for Joshua, then you'll do it for him. And if you'll do it for him, you'll do it for her. And if you'll do it for her, then you'll do it for me. And if you do it for me, you'll do it for my children as well. Because this isn't just about me. This provision isn't just for me. It's going to live beyond me and every generation beyond me. And so uh, we get here in verse 15, and he said, Listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. Here we go. For the battle is not yours, but God. I wonder today how many battles we're fighting that don't belong to us. I wonder how many battles uh, we're currently engaged in that we ought to be transferring the uh, responsibility to God. Now, that, that does not mean we sit down and lay down and say, well, you know, whatever happens, happens. To God be the glory. No. We've got work to do. Look at your neighbor say, we've got some work to do. We got some work to do. But here he's reminding them, don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. This battle belongs to God. If God promised it, then he'll fight to keep it. He'll fight to keep it. Tomorrow, go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Zin, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerusalem. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, position yourselves. There's a position you got to be in. If you're out of position, you can't fight out of position. If you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, 
bad stuff happens. Bad stuff happens. But he says, get in position. Get in position. Get in position. Position yourself. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. He's fighting the battle, but he's with you. Are you with God this morning? Are you with him? Are you accompanying him today? Or are you sending him out to do your work for you? No, he says, the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. All Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bow before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. They rose early in the morning, went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, and as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, uh, uh, and when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set, uh, set ambushes against the people, the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. Amen. They didn't even have to fight the battle. But today I want to focus on the perspective of praise, because I believe that praise is one of the things God's people struggle with the most. Praise, praise, praising God. Now I'm not talking, I'm not talking about uh, uh, praise and worship. I'm not talking about this, you know, 15 to 20 minute uh, thing that we do uh, before services on Sundays. I'm talking about praise, a posture, a position that puts you in a place where God can now move on your behalf. And praise does this. Praise is designed to change focus. That is the very purpose of praise. The very purpose of praise is designed to shift your attention from one thing to another. It is impossible, impossible to give attention to what you are not praising. say that again. It is impossible to give your attention to what you're not praising. I don't know about you. I, I, I have come into church many times with struggles. And after that first 15, 20 minutes of praise and worshiping my God, I feel like I can conquer anything. I, I feel like, come on, devil, you show up right now in the flesh and I'll knock you out. What you got? I feel like every bill is this small. I feel like every every problem is about this small. I, you know, some of you drive up into the par- parking lot with problems. You walk through the door. Why do we do praise and worship at the beginning? Why, why do we even start there? It's because you need to change your focus. If we didn't start with praise and worship and I tried to just jump into preaching, some of you would only think about bills and marital issues. And your crazy kids that are on the other side of the wall and you're hoping that I go as long as possible so you don't have to, to take them back just yet. Take your time, Pastor. Preach on. Nursery's not over. Come on, you got another word. You got, you got ten more minutes in you. But when we start praising, our attention starts now I can preach this word because your heart has been prepared. When you praise and worship God, what are you doing? You're telling him how awesome he is. There's, there's, there, there's, there's pretty much two kinds of songs out there. When you boil it down, 
When it comes to praise and worship, there's two types of praise. We've got songs that just tell God how awesome you are. You reign. Unstoppable God. All these songs. And then there's another type of song that tells us and reminds us of what God has done for us. Well, that sounds like the two things that Jehoshaphat starts off by just telling God how awesome he is. That's praise. Praise just simply means to exalt, means to lift up. That's what it means. And whatever you praise demands your attention. I cannot praise God and think about my problems at the same time. I know some of you might be powerful multitaskers, but praise does more than just change what I think about. It sets your spirit in a position to now you're honoring who God is and how awesome he is. And the next time you're in a trial, or maybe in the current trial you're in right now, we ought to just start opening our mouths and just telling him how awesome he is. God, you reign in all the earth. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. There is nothing greater than you. There is no one bigger than you. There is no one like you. You have redeemed us. You have set us free. You sent your son and removed sin and evil for eternity. You are awesome, God. You are awesome, God. You praise him. And then you start reminding him of what he's done for you. You start reminding him of how he's moved in your life before. You, you, you start reminding him and reminding yourself, too, of what he's capable of, what he could do for you. But I wonder how many of our problems are stealing our praise. What does that mean? That means that we're praising the problem than rather than praising God. See, praise is not limited to God. You can praise anything. It's a matter of what you give your attention to, and it's a matter of what you focus on. What are we focusing on? What are we giving our attention to? Whatever you're praising. I wonder if this last week we've spent more time praising the problem than praising our God. And here's how you can gauge it. What's coming out of your mouth? Psalms chapter 34, verse 1. Psalms 34, verse 1 says this. David wrote this. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in where? My heart? My mind? My mouth. You cannot praise God without moving your mouth. You don't praise God by staying silent. You don't praise God by just keeping it on the inside. You praise God by opening your mouth and blessing the Lord. A lot of times we talk about how the Lord blesses us, but the Bible has a lot to say about us blessing the Lord. And what's happening as a result of your praise is your attention is shifted. I will bless the Lord at all times. Not good times. After I get something, at all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. I've told my son plenty of times, use your words. Use your words. I don't have to say that as much anymore. He's five, thank goodness. But in some of those years, man, that was an automatic statement. Use your words. And this is the, this is the awesome part. Whether or not I use my words didn't determine if I had the resource to meet his needs. But he didn't receive my resource until he used his words. Oh, you're thankful? Then say that. Use your words. It's amazing how kids will find any way to articulate something other than using their words. You want juice? Milk? Toilet water? 
this a long time ago. Can I please have some water? Because you're my daddy, and I know you have water, and I know you have plenty of it, and I know you want to give it to me. I know you want to bless it, but can you please give me some water? But until we use our words, we don't demand the resource that God has for us. Use your words. Look at your neighbors. Say, use your words. Use your words. Romans chapter 4. Look at Romans chapter 4. Use your words. You got to use your words. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Talking about Abraham. Talking about Abraham. We're going to start with verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. What's he saying here? He's essentially saying, see, because you belong to Abraham, you get everything Abraham got. The promise given to Abraham is still the promise to you today. I don't know what promised land you're believing for, but it belongs to you. Whatever that is that God has set in your heart as your promised land, he has the ability and the resource to get it to you. By faith, you attach yourself to those things. Verse 17 says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him who he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. What do you call it? What are you calling it? What are you calling it? What is your mouth calling it by faith? What are you praising? What are you giving your attention to? We've got to learn to take praise beyond here. If the only time you've sung a song all week is the 20 minutes we've spent in here, that's not going to cut it. Praise is a lifestyle, not an event. If you can only sing when the band is playing, if you can only praise God when the right atmosphere is set. No, praise determines the atmosphere. The, the, the tracks that we play and the instruments on stage do not determine the atmosphere. Because I've been in plenty of concerts, and I've been in some, some, some not-so-God-honoring concerts. And there was music playing, but the atmosphere and the environment was not conducive for the Spirit of God. I've even been in some churches, believe me, that were not conducive to the Spirit of God because they were glorifying man more than they were glorifying God. You'd be surprised at how many churches open their doors every Sunday morning and God never goes. I'm thankful you guys are here, but I'm more thankful that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has arrived in this place and has uh, given us the honor of being in his presence because it's in his presence things change. Not my presence, not each other's presence, not the band's presence, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who reigns in all the earth. If your problem is bigger than your God, it's because you made it bigger than your God. What do we call it? Who contrary to hope, verse 18. Who contrary to hope, in hope, believed so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken. 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 Praise talks. Praise says something. Praise says something. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. Watch this. Giving 
glory to God. Strengthened in his faith, giving glory to God. If your faith seems weak, we might have been glorifying the wrong thing. His faith being strengthened was a result of him glorifying God. If you skip on down to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, the very next chapter, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, watch this, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Look at that. He says, we glory in tribulation. Now that doesn't mean that I'm glorifying the tribulation. That means I'm glorifying my God even in the midst of the tribulation. If you want to talk about perspective, when you're in the struggle, let me hear what you're saying. When you're in the struggle, are you glorifying God as much as when you got out of the struggle? Because here's the issue. Many of us see praise and thanksgiving as a response. And this is where it jacks us all up. Is because praise is not simply a response to seeing something change. Praise is what causes change. We just saw with King Jehoshaphat that he sent the praise and the worshipers out ahead of the soldiers. Some of us are more ready to fight than we are ready to praise. Some of us are more ready to attack the devil than we are to praise God. Some of us are more ready and, 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 and more of a position to pull out the sword and to pull out the spear and pull out the shield than we are to open our mouth and just glorify God in the midst of the thing, in the midst of the problem, in the middle of the struggle. I want to give you three points real quick about praise. Three points. Number one, praise is priority. Praise is priority. What does that mean? Praise is not a last resort. It is if you have tried all the other ways to get out of your trial and then nothing else works and you said, well, God, might as well give you a shot, then he's just in line. He's waiting behind all of your other messes. He's waiting behind all the other stuff that you think is going to get you out of your mouth. He's, he's, he's standing behind mom and dad. He's standing behind the, the bank. He's standing in line uh, behind the credit cards. He's standing in line behind the doctors. And let me see what they say. And let me see what. But when you learn to open your mouth and start praising him first. regardless of praise. He's still worthy of praise regardless of how small it is, how big it is. He's worthy of praise. Praise has to be a priority. It cannot be a last resort. Number two, praise is proactive. Praise is proactive. On the contrary, for most of us, praise is reactive. When I see it, then I praise. When it happens, then I praise. And most of us don't have a problem with that. I'm sure at some point in your life, you have told God, thank you. But as we learned last week, you have to see it before you have it. You have to see it before you see it. You have to see it spiritually before you see it physically. And when you learn to see things spiritually first, 
you'll start praising him before the thing ever even shows up. That's real faith. That's a change in perspective. And everybody's going to think you're crazy. And everybody's going to think you're an idiot. And everybody's going to think that you've lost it. But you're going to start praising him for houses that haven't even been built. You're going to start praising him for, for sickness and disease that you're still make, taking medicine for. You're going to start praising him for kids that are still following the devil. You're going to start praising him for a marriage uh, where, where their spouse doesn't care anything about you. You're going to start praising him for answers that you don't even know what the problem is yet. Praise is proactive. Praise is proactive. It's not reactive. You don't respond in praise. Uh, your trial changes in response to your praise. You've got to open your mouth in praise. Praise desires or praise declares a desired outcome. You can be proactive because you're just simply declaring what you want to see. You call those things to be not. some bold stuff like Abraham. You got to do some some messed up stuff. You got to call things to be not as though they are. Marriage is filled with hate. You start calling it love. Children are disobedient. You start calling them obedient and that they love God and love to follow the will of God. Finances not in order. You got to start calling them in order. You've got to start calling in more than enough. You've got to start calling yourself blessed, that I have the provision necessary. You've got to start saying some stuff before you see it. If you wait to see it before you say it, you'll never see it. Praise is proactive. Praise is priority. Praise is proactive. Thirdly, praise changes perspective. Praise changes perspective. Your praise has the power to shift what you see. This is praise. This is praise and worship. I titled this message Praise Practice because it has to be practiced. Your life is a result of the habits you make. Your life is not a result of what you do occasionally. Your life is a result of what you do Habitually. Your life is a result of what your what your life is demonstrating. We've got to praise. We've got to open our mouths. We've got to glorify our God. We've got to glorify our King. Worship team, if you come up, we've got to learn to open our mouths and lift up praises to Him. Where do I start? Where do I start? I, I remember, you know, I grew up in churches. You know, we would have some powerful services. Powerful services. I mean, crazy stuff happened. Stuff that would probably scare somebody. You wouldn't be back. Number one is I don't know why we allow so much of what somebody else does to affect what we do. I don't know why we allow so much of what happens around us to determine what's going on inside of us. I don't know. But the second thing is, is it doesn't matter what happens in here. If it's not being replicated out there, it won't change you. It won't change you. This is designed to be a catalyst for you. This is designed to be an opportunity for you to put in motion what needs to be carried out out of you. There are some of you in this room, you will not see the answer you're believing for until you change your perspective from the problem to your praise won't. You just won't. You, 
you've been believing, you've been standing, you, 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 you can speak faith to me, you can tell me scriptures all day long, but there's no praise in your mouth, there's no spirit of thanksgiving, there's no honor to God, there's no reverence to who he is. And you will not see the answers in your life until you change your perspective. And it's got to be beyond this place. It's got to be beyond this place. It's got to be beyond these walls. It's got to be in your home. It's got to be in your car. One thing I loved about my mom, she was always playing praise and worship music. Cassette. Wear those things out, man. Buy another one. The home was constantly filled with praise and worship. Is your home filled with praise and worship? home filled with praise and worship? Quit talking about how bad it is. Quit talking about how everything's falling apart. Quit talking about what's broken. Quit talking about what's hurting. Quit focusing on everything that is going wrong and start focusing on your God that can make it all go right. that praise and worship, that doesn't mean that they have something you don't. It means that they're going to have something that you don't. Because they've put themselves in position. It's a position. Praise is a position. You you can't you can't be hit with something that you're not in position to receive. not a lack of resource on God. Quit blaming God. Some of you have gone as far as to blame God for the situations you're in. Why are you blaming Him? You don't know what this says? You don't know what He's promised you? You don't know what He's declared over your life? It's time to praise God. I want everyone on your feet. We're going to stand and we're going to take a moment to worship God.